In this episode of Common Sense Emil, we'll be talking to the founder and CEO of Canna Provisions, a Massachusetts-based dispensary. Today's guest is about as badass as they come, growing Canna Provisions to be the ninth largest independent cannabis company in the state of Massachusetts with over 140 employees and a valuation around $65 million. Damn, Meg! Meg Sanders, welcome to Common Sense Emil. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be able to chat with you this afternoon. So full disclosure, you are a client, one of my favorites, I might add. Um, Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. And we had a great conversation with uh, Cam a couple of weeks ago, which people seem to have loved. And we'll talk about him a little later. But first, uh, I couldn't handle the shaming for my employees anymore. And I finally closed up my Pandora account after all of these years and got myself on Spotify. Uh, That's, you know, maybe I'm showing my age, but I've I'm updating my playlists. I'm curious what your top songs are on Spotify. Go-to playlists. Can you guide me a little bit? I know you're a music fan. I am a music fan. I would say it, it's really um, time frame based, you know, like you know how you get in a groove of something and you listen to it for a while. And so um, most recently I've been listening to Grizz, um, uh-huh. just a great, great all around, no matter what you're doing, just fun upbeat um mode i just love it get you moving right. that's Grizz. so i i listen to uh, yeah definitely grizz uh, my daughter has me into dubstep and all kinds of fun oh. stuff like that so okay. yeah cool big, lots big of glow fan. sticks edm fests i love it i'm not uh, i'm not edm festing yet my daughter does all that for me for oh, her. she'll bring you but, but but she you know i get all the energy out of it and she yeah. shares so many so many great bands but yeah that's You'll be there right now. You're a cool mom. I can tell. You'll be there. You'll be there. Well, yeah. Uh, if you sell sell weed, you kind of run into the you get into the cool mom category a little bit. For sure, <laughs> like that. Like, bingo. Yeah. It's like it's like oh. the teen the teen years didn't even happen, right? Like you became cool. Boom. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I told my kids they were. I don't know. My son was still in high school or maybe he was in college at that point. Um, and my daughter was in probably middle school or something. And I told him my, and my son's response was, of course you are. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I guess that's awesome. They, they <laughs> no know, surprise. They, they know the tree they fell from. They know the tree. They uh, do. I've been also, I've been told, um, by a certain someone who may or may not still be in this chat that, uh, you're also a huge Wilco fan. Um, me too. I've seen them many, many, many times. Uh, what's the best Wilco song to listen to during a breakup? Oh, during a breakup? Oh, yeah. sadness. Um, goodness gracious. I have to think about that one. Okay, Which, we'll what do you think it. it? What do you think it is? What is your? I'm tr- what do you think? I'm is? trying to break your heart, of course. <laughs> well, that's it's, yeah, it's that's right there pretty- in the title pretty appropriate yeah what's the best song and we can come back to this too i'll I'll plant both of these seeds best best wilco song for a breakup best wilco album or song to get high as hell to oh high as hell to oh goodness gracious can i cheat yeah okay good um i'm just gonna go to my yeah, you're, I'm going to my phone. Spotify. Yeah, I'm going oh, to my Spotify. Wilco Spotify. We'll bring it full Because I love it. I'm just, it's so genius, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. And I was introduced to Wilco, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight years ago by mm-hmm. a high school friend of mine. And 
it was funny because when he was telling me, I was like, you keep talking about this band, you and I generally align, you know, like, and, and he was like, I, I said, help me out. Cause there's so much, it's like a big, it's a, oh, yeah. there's a Prolific. lot of, yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of music. And I'm like, help a sister out, like get me started on the right foot. And I would say his recommendation is still my favorite. And maybe it's because that's how I fell in love with them. But sky blue sky is just like oh. dreamy. What an amazing album. Okay. So maybe I have one last Wilco question and maybe you just answered it. Are you, and this is a nerdy Wilco question. So feel free to ignore me if you want. Was the band better pre with Jay Bennett or post Jay Bennett? And you just told me, you know, what your favorite album is definitely post Jay Bennett. It is. Yeah. And I don't think I'm that from, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I'm so discerning. I would know the difference, you know, um, the cacophony. So, so, so I pretty Jay, much know, I pretty much know them post definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. and we just, we actually just saw them in, in Toronto. It was so great. That's awesome. Uh, Nils Klein is one of my all time favorite guitar players of all time. And the album you just mentioned, sky blue sky has a song on it called impossible Germany that has some of the best guitar work. I've ever heard in my life on it. And that song is such a beautiful mess. I love it so much. Um, but you can it tell is, Jay, ben Jay Bennett's influence was like the Yankee Hawk, uh, Foxtrot Hotel stuff where it's like uh, orchestral cacophony, organized cacophony, right? Like all this yeah. swelling and, and and all that sort of uh, hugely layered um, songs, you know? So, so that whole album is that, and that was my introduction to, um, to them so when i'm uh going through a breakup and i'm gonna be stoned i'm probably listening to yankee foxtrot hotel. <laughs> yankee hotel foxtrot i love probably. it i just love it yeah i'm 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 lucky i'm lucky to to be aware of this amazing little band that is just prolific and so talented live genius fucking yeah. genius in toronto oh, like i was just i was eric was blown away he, he's not even he's only familiar with like when i happen to listen to them so he doesn't even know him that much but man he just looked to me he's like unbelievably talented i'm like i know i what do i to take you to an untalented band come on man give me some credit but it's also <laughs> the the pot like they're you know yes all of that is true but they their live show is a level of professionalism that you don't always see right mm -hmm. like you know and it's not like it doesn't look like they're having a ton of fun on stage but it looks like it's it, everything is thought out everything is intentional um they Incredible. know every note they're playing even when they're improvising um yeah that's cool I'm glad you, you so you got up to toronto to see him that's fun yeah it was really fun we had a phenomenal i mean toronto wow what an incredible yeah, city. city weed weed everywhere you know just dispensaries you can't walk two blocks without hitting one and it was just really great it, it was this is this is the best we're at wilco it's a it's an outdoor amphitheater right on the lake just stunning and it's beautiful weather and we're like following the cool kids trying to figure out where you can smoke weed and we were smoking one place and we were watching a group smoke and this cop came up to me. And he's like, let me show you where you can do that. And we're like, well, let's follow him. <laughs> so we followed cop. over and we followed the cop, followed the group. And then we blazed away and it was so funny. And then there was another time we went to three different shows at the same venue, three nights in a row. And the second night we were there, we went and we were in the same place. And I was like, well, this is where the cool kids hang out and smoke weed. And the there was a cop like standing, I don't know, 50 feet away from me 
and he and he waved at me and I waved back. <laughs> and I'm like, it wasn't Hi. the same cop, was it? No, 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 different cop. Oh. <laughs> and and you know, and they're Canadians, so you know, everybody's yeah, yeah. so nice. They're like, sure. oh yeah. And he and he goes, watch out for security. And I go, what? And he goes, you're fine, but just watch out for security. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Okay, <laughs> like I mean, thanks, cop. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, the cop is telling you you're going to get in more trouble from event you the know, security. The security. Yeah, he's what a, like, what I a don't world care. we live in. God <laughs> thank, bless thank Canadians. The, thank the Lord, man. Thank the Lord, we live in this amazing, crazy place. <laughs> well, let's get into it because you and I exist on a uh, planet that's been around for billions of years, and and for some crazy reason, and by some crazy fortune, we find ourselves spinning on it during this time when. Cannabis is becoming legal uh, and we're able to start businesses on it. So yeah, it's, it's wild. It's a wild time to be here. Um, I want to talk to you about planting your flag. Um, but first I want to kind of get to the heart of what motivates you. Um, so I'm curious about your pre-weed life. Um, what were you doing before, before the devil's lettuce got a hold of you? Pre-weed. It's a, it's a sorted story. I mean, Everything from everything from, you know, I was a B2B sales rep in various industries, um, stay at home mom. Um, I started the youth football league in Boulder, Colorado. And my first year I had 40 coaches and 300 kids and won two championships. And I was, you know, I obviously like biggest fan of my kids in any sport or activity that they were doing. So my son football and lacrosse and my daughter soccer and competitive dance and, you know, did all that mommy stuff. And then, um, I was working actually at a small financial office in Boulder, just trading one guy's money. And I kind of was in the compliance, leading the compliance side, making sure all of our accounts are set up and the traders are staying under their trade limits and their deposits are, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, ended up working through a really interesting series of trades in a, in Morocco um, as that company was privatizing. I mean, as that country was privatizing and it was, it's always interesting when that happens, there's just a lot of opportunity depending on the country. Greece had the same, same, same kind of phenomenon and figured out a lot of things on how to do it and get different accounts open in different countries and blah, blah, blah. And really um, kind of went to the partners and I'm like, Hey, I think I can probably do a lot more of this. I'd love to do this, but I don't, I don't want to do this and make everybody else a bunch of money. I want to make money too off of it. And they pretty much said no. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of lost my, you know, lost my motivation to do it. And and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have been there. I'm not, it's not sour grapes. It's just fact. And um, I was super lucky. I got off at two o'clock in the afternoon, got to pick up my kids every day from school. You know, like it yeah. was, I was super fortunate. Um, yeah. But it just didn't serve me anymore. And I was at the moment in time where like I was I was ready to go back to work and career. And so a friend of mine was getting into cannabis in Colorado. This was hold on. I'm going to interrupt you. I don't oh. like podcasters or into who interrupt you, but I'm going to do it's it okay. right now because I want to stop you before you get to weed. Got it. And okay. I want to I want to talk about that moment of walking into because I have a very similar story where, you know, I went to my boss at the time and pitched him can of planners. You know, I pitched him, you know, cause we were doing, um, we were building, you know, my company was building websites or the company I worked for was building websites and I pitched him can of planners and it was a similar thing. And I understand you weren't like necessarily pitching the cannabis industry to your, um, to your, 
you know, colleagues, but I had the same experience where they're like, no. Right. So let's talk about that. Like that feeling of um, just defeat. Was that kind of that moment for you where you were like self? Okay. This is, this is mean. I have, this is all on me now. I, I get, I get how this works. <laughs> I understand oh, yeah. my place in this, in this position. And, and I've just been told basically that it's X and not Y, despite me wanting to do something yeah, more ambitious. So that's exactly right. And, and I'm not the kind of person that, um, like I've never been the kind of person that can just show up nine to five in the same job, never change, never do anything. Same. That's just not my, yeah, yeah. it's not my MO. Um, so I think the the not like there was nothing motivating about staying there, like creating and doing, you know, just figuring things out, problem no solving. Challenge. It just it wasn't challenging. Um, I mean, the work itself was was challenging and just that, there, you know, there's compl- it was complicated getting money from here to there and all that stuff. But it wasn't challenging in that I was I had ownership. You know, it wasn't yeah. like. Woo me. It was, and, and not, I don't know if that even sounds right, but it, it wasn't something that I was going to be able to take and make my own in any way, shape or form. And, you know, lo and behold, after a million different assessment tests and, you know, from disc to flipping caliper to, I mean, a million different, you know, personality and what you should be when you grow up kind of stuff. <laughs> um, lo and Psychic. behold, yeah, but, but lo and behold, I'm, I'm absolutely, um, I'm absolutely like an entrepreneur and a leader. And that is just my, that's who I am. And, and I, I really do love figuring things out and making things better. And, um, and I just was at a moment in time there that yeah, there wasn't really too much more to figure out. And I certainly wasn't motivated to do it because I, it's a lot of work, you know, when you're trading in a foreign country, you know, you, you're on their hours. And then I also yeah. had my day life of children and house and husband and all that stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It just kind of, it just bummed me out because I think had I, Popped had they, that balloon. had they, yeah, exactly. Had they let, had they realized who I was, you know, had they done the work that I'm yeah, doing now with my employees to figure out like, you know, what, what is their, what, what, what gets them going Mm-hmm. Um, and what do they need and what they're passionate about and, and those kinds of things, which is what I love doing as a leader. Um, I, I just think about God, what can we have accomplished together, but it's all good. You know, again, I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't regret it. I got a lot of experience out of it and learned a lot about compliance and it got me, you know, bottom line, it got me here somehow, you know, it's, that's always how it yeah, works. Let me, let me ask you this. And I, I'm not trying to paint you. This is a question I often ask because it's, it's me. So Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to paint arrogance or ego on you or anything like that. Beyond that, was there a sense, did you have a sense that you were smart, you were the smartest person in the room? I mean, yeah, I would say that I kind of, well, full disclosure, I'm an only child. Um, I'm a Capricorn, you know, like, isn't that tell you everything? Like, yes, I lived in a bubble of one and never really to to a fault. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was spoiled rotten and I was the only, you know, I was the youngest grandchild or the only grandchild, depending on which side of the family. I'm a middle child. So that's basically an only child, (laughs) the forgotten middle, the forgotten, the forgotten middle child. We we often, and and it's funny because we're often attracted to each other. So my, my, my current partner is a middle child. My former husband was a middle child. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of funny. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I grew up 
and, and this is also a curse. Let me be clear. It's something I work on every day. Not understanding how that there's a whole nother connection out there, you know? So it was just like, Meg, bull in a china shop, just like, you know, I, but this yeah. is what I want. I, what, what, you, what's the problem? I want this. Yeah. And I, just, I, it, I, I know this is the right solution, right? Yeah. Like, that's how I, that's the, I mean, oh, hell I yeah. to that. it's like, this is the solution. You can challenge me and we can debate and maybe come to a better version of my solution. But my yeah. solution is the best. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's been a, it's been a lifelong journey of, you know, being that way, figuring out that that's how you're occurring, that that can come across as pretty, you know, aggressive or arrogant or, you know, not thoughtful. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of the stuff that I've been definitely working on since my like late forties into my fifties. So let me ask you this. So were you conscious? I mean, you, you knew you were an only child. You probably were aware of your personality traits. You know, you probably know yourself fairly well. Prior to that day of walking in and then popping that balloon, was did you realize that professionally? Meaning, I guess, like, without you knowing when you walked in that day, was that going to be the final straw because you were aware of, like, these personality traits? I don't know. If I don't think a, I was. I don't think I was. Question, that aware. But, no, I don't think I was that aware. I mean, huh. I think I think it was just a, oh, okay, well, I'll take my ball and go home. You know, that's just kind of that's yeah. kind of how I rolled. So yep. if I didn't like it, I go find something else or start something else or do something else. I mean, even when I was a stay-at-home mom, I ran two different businesses just out of my home. And it was just because that's how I, I'm wired. It's just like, you know, I had a I had a what little were those? I had a um angler baby, which is a little fly fishing company that made <laughs> Cute little baby clothes and and toddler clothes with flies and fish on them. Okay. Um, so that and I had I don't know twenty maybe thirty fly fishing um, outfits around the United States that <laughs> bought from us and you know I, just, I was right out of my office. I pack it up myself, ship it myself, all of it, and that was super fun. And I, my largest um, client was actually Cabela's, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> cool. And, um, so I did that. And then the other thing that I did from home was I ran a supper club. So I made, I did meal prep for, um, I don't, I think I probably had 12, 12 moms. Um, and I would, you know, get them, uh, uh, two weeks worth of food, two weeks worth of suppers basically. And it's all freezable. And they had the list of what to do. They had the recipe, they had everything and they didn't have to do too much other than heat up the oven or that kind of thing. But yeah, that's another thing that I did. And it was pretty cool because it kind of paid for our food, you know? So you were like, you were consciously, you know, being an entrepreneur before Mm -hmm. you became an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think, I I think part of it is the only child thing in that I'm just going to do it myself. I just, let me just do this myself. And, and part of it was, I just wanted to run the show. You know, I didn't want to, didn't. Didn't really want to answer to anybody else. I, I just wanted to run the show. So that's what I did forever. And then that kind of got me, lo and behold, into cannabis right when it was really getting crazy in Colorado, you know, 2009. So you're living in, Bol- you're living in Boulder. You're making suppers. You're putting yep. flies on on little baby bibs for when they go fly. F- I'm, I'm picturing like the toddlers are actually fly fishing with these very preppy. No, I know what you, I know what you're doing, but, yeah. but you're, you're running these small businesses. Uh, 
taking, you know, being a mom, which is, you know, a 24 hour job in and of itself. Um, and your balloon gets popped at, at your, at your nine to five. What do you, what did you do? Like that day? I'm like, sorry, Meg, not going to happen. Great idea. Not for us. Well, I think for Go back me, to Morocco. Yeah. For me, it was just, I, I didn't quit. I just figured out, I mean, I think I just became a lot less excited about my job. Um, and you know how it is yeah. when you get the gumption up to go ask, you know, these cajillionaires, Hey, I've got a really good idea. And, yeah. you know, let's do this. And, and I don't, I think the other thing kind of only child, I never anticipated. They say, no, sure. <laughs> I, I was already sold. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can, I know exactly how I'm going to do this. This is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to need to go here and meet these people. I mean, I had it all planned out. That's cause that's just how I roll. And, um, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. And I, I think it became, that's when it became clear. I wanted an exit strategy and I started thinking about what else I could do. So, um, and, and that at, at that time, like I said, it was probably 2008, 2009 when that happened, um, early. That's so right around and legalization in Colorado. Right. When everyone started opening dispensaries and leasing up warehouse space and throwing I mean, with no, I mean, you just, you know, oh, this know. is accurate it, with yeah, yeah. zero permits, zero building permits, zero inspections, and there was no regulations or no regulatory bodies. So it was crazy. I'm surprised. I'm actually shocked that more things didn't just burn to the ground. Really a lot shocked. Did, though. A lot did. And in fact, I'm not sure if you've been watching the news, uh, usually during the summer months, but most of Colorado is on fire. Uh, well, so those places true. did all burn down. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I remember it. it. It was a wild time. So, so why, how, so how, how did you get there? Because there's, I mean, obviously, you know, and I hate using, I hate using the phrase because it's so lame, but the, the green rush, especially when it first started happening in Colorado was, uh, it was simultaneously somehow both a very quick process uh, but it also seemed to stretch out for so long there, there was, it was messy. Um, how did you know that that's where you should be and not doing your own thing in finance and compliance? Oh, well the finance, not doing my own thing in finance and compliance was super simple because you have to have your own money to do it. And I just didn't have the amount of money that these guys had in various, um, holding banks for trading against. So it just wasn't, it wasn't an option. And was it a passion um, though? Was it a pat like let's let's like had you had the money would that would that have been a, something you pursued? Probably just because I knew how to do it, and I and yeah. I I am I am you know money motivated. I'm I'm motivated by a lot of things, but um, but you know I'm also money motivated, and I was like, well, shoot, if if I could have if I could have figured out a backer, I think yeah, I might have reconsidered that, but it just I, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not that's not yeah. who I run around with. That's like. You know, there's us in our little middle class home in Boulder, and then there's the three partners who live in fourteen thousand square foot homes in the Boulder Hills. You know what I mean? So yep. it's just, it's a, it was just a lifestyle and a and a circle that I didn't run in. Certainly did not run in. So it was just one of those things. And I, again, it wasn't like I was super passionate about it. I was super passionate that I'd figured out how to do something, and I thought I could make more money doing that. And I also could find other trading ideas like that. And that was, that's fun actually. Cause you know, it's, it's using your brain and creativity and how do you figure it out? And, you know, but I think for me, it just wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I'm on fire about finance. It's certainly, that wasn't it. It was just, 
that's what I happened to be doing. And it worked out for a lifestyle choice. It was, you know, we, we made, we, we did well when we were working for that company. And my, my ex-husband was a trader in the company, but once I kind of figured out, I was not going to be able to like have my way. Um, I was just demotivated and it was kind of became the exit strategy of, well, what else can I do? What else is out there? And at the very same time, Colorado was getting going and a friend of mine that I went to school with um, was getting a big uh, cannabis grow going in Colorado, big, <laughs> big for that time. Sure. And, you know, now it's like you think about 200,000 square feet or a million square feet and that would be big. And at the time it was, you know, 43,400 square feet. So it was, it was tiny in this, in the current scope, but yeah. we felt like it was enormous and it's cost it a lot of money to build out. And yeah. Yeah. I bet. And I, I, it wasn't like I called him and said, Hey, I'd like to do this with you. And he was like, okay. I was like, Hey, can you tell me about what you're doing? And then ran into him at a couple of football games and he told me some more. And, and I kind of just kept saying, I, 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 I'd like to get involved. If there's, is there room for me to get involved? And, you know, and, it, it was but literally why? A, why were you, did you enjoy cannabis? Did you see the, despite like the messiness of the industry and it only being like literally in your backyard at that point in in time, like what, what was the opportunity? What did you think you saw then? A pure opportunity to get involved at the ground floor. I mean, it. it was it's so simple. Yeah. This was brand new business, which I'm really good at. This is what I do. I'm a starter and a builder. Mm-hmm. And so I was super intrigued on, I don't know anything about this. I'm, I have young kids. I'm not consuming cannabis. My ex-husband consumed a shit ton of cannabis. So I was familiar with it. I wasn't against it. It just, I just didn't partake that much. I had littles that I had to drive around and, you know, yeah. if they got sick in the middle of the night, I had to take them to the emergency room. So it's kind of like, I was the one that wasn't smoking weed and sure. he was smoking weed, but whatever. Um, and then the other thing that, the, the other thing that really flipped my brain on cannabis, not not that I had a negative connotation with it, um, but I don't think I had a solid understanding of the wellness aspect or the health aspect. Mm. And at the very same, around the very same time, my ex-husband's brother um, was really sick with cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, he was living in Arizona. And, you know, there was, I, I think, at least two trips that my husband took, my ex-husband took with weed to drive to Arizona to give to my to my brother-in-law um, to help him. And when he was consuming, when he was using cannabis as a cancer patient, he was a much better human being. He wasn't in pain as much. He had an appetite. So he sat at the dinner table and ate and and it was, it was terminal. Like there, he wasn't going to make it, he wasn't going to make it out of this one alive. You know, it was, it, this, yeah. the handwriting was on the wall. And it really, I think, eased his suffering and it taught me, um, it opened my eyes about this particular plant. And this is from like, you know, and truly grain of salt, you know, boulder hippie running around in leggings and, you know, I mean, just think about it. It's like, it's just so cliche at this point, but, you know, shopping at Whole Foods and using tinctures and my children, you know, I always tried natural stuff before I put them on any medication. And, you know, so for me, like somebody that was kind of motivated in the health way of natural, this was just such a very touching personal experience that I just went, holy crap, if we can do this, this is, this is like, 
please sign me up, hurry up. How, how do I get involved? So I was very motivated after that about this plant. And I didn't even know, I did, there was just, I didn't know very much about it. I really didn't. I didn't understand the drug war at the time. I didn't understand, um, I didn't even understand the, health, the life cycle of a plant. You know, I didn't get it, any of it. And I, so it was crash course. I mean, I was just drinking from a fire hose from every aspect yeah. of how to grow it, what it, what it needs. Oh my gosh. What it, what, what does a sick plant look like? What, are, you know, in Colorado, oh my God, you just can imagine the horrific scene when there's no regulatory and people are just throwing whatever on these plants and whatever. But in the process, when I did finally figure out a way that I could get involved with this, with this friend of mine, in the process, I started meeting a lot of patients. And man, if that doesn't flip and smack you right in the face, I don't know what does. And probably other than, you know, my experience with, with my brother-in-law at the time, um, starting to meet, you know, patients, I mean, chronic, horrible, you know, yeah. from MS to ALS to horrible stories about cancer, seizures. I mean, that was the other thing is that was right around when there started to be chatting about kiddos with seizures. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's around the time the Sanjay Gupta special aired. Yeah. And I mean, when you see that, when you witness that and you understand that, I don't know, I think it's like 11% of Americans suffer from some, some sort of seizure disorder. What? Yeah, what? And, and just like everything often with this plant, what I find is it takes that personal experience to open your flipping eyes. Mm. And I, I I would wish that it didn't. I wish that, you know, we were all just so much more laid back and understanding and thoughtful and kind to one another and open-minded. Sure. But even, you know, even as we work through prohibition in multiple states, uh, my partner Eric and I, working with legislatures, working with, you know, local governments on, you need an ordinance in order to do this, and this is how it works, and da 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 And just the the lack of understanding. And then the one time you find, oh yeah, my husband just got cancer. And by the way, or, you know, just, we just found out my husband has cancer and I'd really like to know, I need to know more about this plant. Cause all of a sudden it became very important to them that there was an option. And that's just kind of how it works sometimes, I guess, but I wish it didn't take that. I wish it just took somebody, somebody that had cancer. And we learned from that. It doesn't have to be a relative or someone where you're where it, it truly does cost you to lose them, you know, but that is sometimes how it works until it hits you right in your own backyard. Um, mm. You don't that's, care so much that, about it. That's definitely a a very moving way to make that point, but I couldn't agree with you more. Can you, can you talk to me? I mean, you mentioned the war on drugs um, and not knowing anything about it. What do you, what, what didn't you know about the war on drugs? Like you were aware that cannabis was illegal federally. You were probably aware of some of the bad PR that cannabis has been getting for the last 90 years. Um, what, I don't, what, I don't think that's accurate. You know that you, I think I grew, I grew up as a dare kid, you know, same, yeah, dare, same. dare was in, I didn't, I didn't really put it together. And also wicked privilege, white, my, you know, middle-class living in Colorado. I mean, seriously, how much more privilege can I be? So there was that, that little bonus land of, oh, I just wasn't aware because I didn't have to be because I live a privileged life and didn't have the 
um, same recourse as other people my age, my, you know, everything, the only difference is in a different neighborhood and the color of my skin is different. And that was also part of the big awakening for me, realizing the disproportionate impact. And um, that didn't happen overnight either. I mean, I, I never really thought of cannabis as bad, but I was yeah. worried. I didn't want my kids to use it. I didn't want my, you know, I wanted to be careful. I wanted, I didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think just like any, you know, late thirties, early forties housewife, I was, I was probably thoughtfully concerned. Didn't think yeah. at all about alcohol. Didn't think at all about a lot of things, but for whatever reason, you know, mushrooms, marijuana, cocaine, which is all around us when we went to college and whatever. I just never thought about the impact of if I looked different and I had that with me, what would have happened? My life could have been way different. I could have been in jail. I could have lost everything. Um, and, and I think that that's part of what this whole journey for me was, is living this completely oblivious, had no idea, got involved in, in cannabis, started learning about, um, and not that I, not, not that I maybe didn't understand, maybe not that I didn't know, but really diving into the racist undertones of what happened and why the war on drugs started and where it was targeted. And then hearing, you know, hearing the Nixon administration actually say it out loud, why they're doing yeah. this. And then watching that just keep going and then looking at the, the prison population and then going, oh, fuck, this is race. This is flipping slavery. That's all it is. It's just a, it's a codified institutionalized slavery. That's what we're doing. Slavery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that happened at the similar time, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a goat cheese factory um, in goat farm, goat cheese factory in Boulder, Colorado Mm -hmm. that had prison labor putting, you know, doing the packaging and labeling and all, and, you know, for a dollar a day, whatever it was. And it was, it was that first, holy shit, Whole Foods, what are you doing? You know, and they were kind of, that's wild. Yeah, it was, um, I'm trying to think of what it was called. Haystack Mountain Goat Farm. And it just kind of exploded. I'm like, wait a minute, you mean corporations are getting a product produced or packaged or labeled or whatever in prison, in prisons. Mm. And these prisoners, they're and, and under the guise of, but they're learning a skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> massive profits are being made, you know, and I mean, granted, it's food, so massive profits, you know, it, that can be debated. Razor debated. thin profits, but yeah, yeah. Like, but still, it's a profitable entity. Oh, and I'm not defending these, it, but yeah. Yeah, no, no. But I'm just saying, like, holy shit. And I remember that was a really big it's okay if i cuss on this right you tell me listen meg we are a christian audience yeah damn course, it swear, i knew swear, it swear all the live long day <laughs> um, i i'm i cuss like a sailor so i just realized it's I'm okay like, oh wait anyway <laughs> um you're talking yeah, so to I, a fellow sailor yay so <laughs> i think that that was another wake-up call to me of like how does this prison system work like how would i even yeah. know how would i know um although come to you know but way, way back in 1974, 73, um, my uncle got popped for distribution, um, possession and distribution with intent to sell in Houston, Texas. And somehow, somehow 
and hit full on hippie. If you can just imagine sure. my, my uncle looked like Jesus. I mean, just beard, hair, yeah. you know, the Walking poncho, on water, the whole thing, all of it with a whole <laughs> bunch of weed. Yeah. And so my uncle got popped and my grandparents ended up, you know, spending a fortune to keep him out of prison prison, but went to country club prison yep. in Huntsville. And Huntsville has a big penitentiary that's not where you want to be, but they also have the side shoot, which we could go and see him. Like we could go right to his room. It was like a dorm. And I just, I, it was so funny. Like it didn't even occur to me. And then I remember my, when, when I was telling my mother what I was doing, which that's also another story, which we'll save for another podcast maybe. But um, she said, well, don't you know your uncle Jamie went to jail for that? And I'm like, what? And I didn't, I don't think I ever knew why. I just knew, I knew he got in trouble. I knew it was around some kind of drugs, but I didn't really know. And I learned all about it. And I'm like, holy shit, this is so crazy. And again, the privilege of a white guy getting popped in Houston, Texas and had he been in different, you know, different color, his, his story, he, he would still be in prison still right now. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people still in prison right now. And I would, you know, just to, just to, you know, keep this slightly topical to the time we live in. Yesterday or the day before, uh, Brittany Griner, the WNBA star who is in Russia and got um, arrested by Russian police for having a, a cannabis vape car- cartridge and was found guilty and sent to the gulag, um, was was just released with a uh, with some sort of prisoner trade. Um and, you know, part of me is like, yay, Brittany, like, like, of course, like, you know, the hum- the human side of me. Well, I'm all human, but the one side of me is, yay, she gets to go, come home to America. That probably sucked, like in R- Russian prison, blah, like any prison. But she gets to come home and be with her family. Um, but the other side of me is like, God damn it, Joe, like you, you know, went on the news like six weeks ago or, you know, 10 weeks ago at the start of the midterms talking about how you were going to uh, fulfill your campaign promise of uh, expunging, you know, prisoners with cannabis records and you know so it's like it's bittersweet it's like yay for britney but like what about the other you know several you know tens and tens of thousands tens of, of thousands are, of humans yeah that are still in jail for the same thing in the in america yeah um, and and this has been i don't know i'm sure you've been watching the socials on this it is fascinating i mean there is oh it it's is. it's it's like split in exactly the same camps like there's there's you know, at least I feel like I have empathy for both sides of it, but there's people who are like that lady should be in jail. And okay. She broke a law in a different country. Like, I guess. Uh, and then there's the, you know, the other people, you know, the opposite it's, 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 yeah, it's, I can see how it, it can be easily politicized, especially right now. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a couple things too, that I, I believe I, I'm speaking from just yeah, Same. I'm a total idiot. Let right, me, let me, right. let me, yeah. uh, let me, let me ask this. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> disclaimer. I do not know everything. Um, <laughs> I can barely so, read. <laughs> so yeah, that's why there's, that's why there's news on the TV. <laughs> um, but, but to be fair, but let me say this. Let's assume that she on purpose did have the vape cart. Cause that's another thing that's debatable. I think we've heard that she, confirmed Listen, it. I've been smoking weed for most of my life. I've always known where every molecule of cannabis in my life is 
for this exact yeah. reason, for this exact reason. <laughs> but there was a theory that they had planted it. You know, there was, oh, a, sure. there was some, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but okay. So let's just say, let, let's Putin. just hypothetically say she on purpose went to Russia to play basketball with a vape cart in her bag and she got popped. And A, let me just say, who who's thinking about when they go to another country, Russia or indifferent? And I'm I'm telling you, when I was trading in Morocco, I had there was a moment in time where I was gonna go and I had to have a bodyguard and I like the setup was crazy. There was yeah. people suggesting I should dye my hair. Like it, you know, you have to be aware. Oh, but blend I also in. <laughs> blend in and I had definitely, yeah. you know, wear burkas and all that. But yeah. regardless, I think the point is, I don't think she ever intended to become a political prisoner you know like but but man no. what a shitty situation to put the country in right because now we've got to make some horrific trade with this merchant of death dude who yeah, yeah. messed up child armies and then gave them weapons to go fight on meth so that they would just go do whatever they were you know they were like almost robotic and and again she, she she never never that's not what her intent was her intent was to go make money and play basketball for the summer and god bless yeah, her and for now she to- now she has to live with this now dragging this karma luggage of like oh, oh god like i just got traded for the merchant the dude's name is the merchant of death for christ's sake you know yeah. like, so, it's not it was so like the I, uh the, the teddy bear strangler <laughs> Exactly. I don't think, I don't think she's, I don't think this is easy for her. I don't think this is easy for her family. I don't think this is easy for anybody, but at the same time, there's a whole bunch of ands here. It's not ors, right? It's not, well, we could have, or we could have, it's, we released, you know, Brittany got released and I really hope all the rest of the prisoners in the United States get released. And I hope the other political prisoners in Russia get released. And I really hope we fucking figure out this, this, this ridiculous, archaic mentality about this plant. And, and just the fact that we're even there, but you have to realize like you can't go to certain, certain places in Asia with CBD, you'll be put to death. So I feel like we need to not be so arrogant about our access to stuff. We need to be a lot more thoughtful because what happens is we unintended, we become an unintended consequence that the repercussions are massive. Now, what I do appreciate this is we're talking about it. We're talking about a vape cart. We're talking about a professional athlete. We're talking about a woman of color. We're talking about the injustice of this whole bullshit situation and that, and now people are more people are becoming more and more aware of how many thousands and thousands and thousands of humans are in our ridiculous prison system stuck because of a plant. It's just, it's absurd. It's absurd. I totally agree with you. We're getting, I want to, this is making me want to jump ahead and forego the rest of the story, but there is a lot I want to get to uh, in terms of before even coming to Massachusetts. But since we're on the topic, I'm kind of curious and this is something I'm trying to figure out for myself. Like last night, for example, you know, we're a small company, you know, like I, I do what I can last prisoner project. I try to give money to them. Um, you know, last night I 
bought $500, $250 worth of toys at, at Target for, you know, toys for tots or something like that for the company, like those sorts of things. So, so let me ask you this, as you become a successful business person, especially in this industry that has so much bullshittery around it, such as what we're talking about right now, um, what, what is the responsibility a that like you feel is expected of you and B that you feel like you expect of yourself in terms of uh, the charitable side of things mm. and even like edu- even talking about this. So like you, you know, you are constantly, you and Eric are both constant. You're, you're uh, co-founder with Canada Provisions and business partner, Eric, um, are constantly asked to come speak in other states in front of, uh, in front of other state legislatures in mm-hmm. front of other uh, business people and key decision makers in states that are trying to go legal. Um, what is the responsibility in terms of the bigger, what is the non-business related responsibility that you feel like you have? To talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like that's the first step. And I feel like mm-hmm. it is, I'm only one person and I don't have a huge reach. I have a nominal reach. I mean, it's so funny. I, I think people, I don't know what people think about me. I honestly don't as far as like what, what my reach is, what my celebrity is in the cannabis space. It's, it's minor um, in the scope of the world, but in my professional and personal opinion, I have a responsibility to speak the truth. I have a responsibility to say this is wrong and we should stop doing this. I have a responsibility to, um, run a really good business that pays their employees well and offers them a lot of opportunity so that then they can go be better human beings because I, yeah, we write checks. Yes. We donate. Yes. We do all of those things. And I have a lot of things that I'm passionate about. So I have to be really thoughtful about that, you know? Um, but honestly, I think you change the world in your own house and then you change the world in your own neighborhood and then you change the world in your own little town of lee massachusetts with 2500 people and if i can influence a town to be as thoughtful and kind to us as they are and so supportive they have our back at every flipping second we Mm -hmm. are just treated so well in this little town if i can teach a town of 2500 people that cannabis is cool it's okay and hey, by the way, there's things, there's strings attached to this plant and we all need to be aware of it. And if I can work with, with a flipping legend like Ken yeah. and who's social equity, who's gone through the the war on drugs, who lost everything because of the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And we'll and link he that and I, below, that chat below. Yeah. And he and I are arm in arm leading this company along with Eric. Um, we're walking the walk and not just talking about it. I think it's easy to, I think it's easy to write checks. I think it's really yeah. hard to stand up and say, this is not okay. And right. And because I, one is an immediate like gratification. Like I signed that check and I'm like, I did my part, you know, uh, yeah. and I, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with what I'm saying, but like, it is a big part of what I'm able to, you know, in the scope of what I'm able to do, my platform is as big as it is. And I, you know, use it the way I feel is important to our brand and also the the mission that we're on um and the writing the checks is you know uh, makes me feel good inside but one of the things that i'm keenly aware of and i hear and this is what i'm hearing from you is that like 
and this, I'm, I'm curious how you rationalize this as an only child who wants a new Palupa right now, daddy. Uh, but how you rationalize, um, um, the immediacy with which you want shit to get done and the reality that this in particular is a, is a generational thing, right? Like we're unraveling almost a hundred years worth of damage and racism and systemic bullshit. Um, and it, you know, it's not going to happen in one year, five years, 10 years. It's going to happen in, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, maybe longer. Um, how do you, how do you rationalize that? Um, I think if I didn't have a thoughtful understanding of, and a commitment to where I know I can make the biggest impact, if I didn't have that in my heart, I think I would be really frustrated. I mean, just like, yeah, you know, just beating on the walls and the doors and the stop doing this. But through this process of cannabis, I have learned how our government works from the tiniest little town in Lee, Massachusetts, all the way to the federal government. I really do have a thoughtful understanding of how it works, or I should say how it doesn't work. Um, and even was it yesterday or the day before, um, in the past few days, Mitch McConnell yanked the flip and safe banking act out of the defense the, omnibus spending bill for the eighth time. Yeah. Shocker. So, you know, everyone's so we believe it's passing. We're very confident it's passing. And then we still have this guy who, who openly said that marijuana is a Democrat platform and they aren't going to, they're not going to have anything to do with it. The Republicans are not going to have anything to do with it. And I just know that if you ask, if you ask legislature, legislators individually, they will full on support it. But when they're with their party, towing the party line, they won't touch it. Now, what I hope, my biggest hope going really big platform here, that this Brittany Griner situation brings a massive look in the mirror of our hypocrisy and what crap this is so that maybe we convince a few more people may and 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 I don't know I'm hoping it's it's a topic and it's a hot topic I mean people are furious or really passionate and it's fascinating to see the the like I said the spectrum of of the upset but I think I'm going to stick to my knitting because where I know I can make the biggest impact as a human being is with my family my kids animals that I help my own animals, um, my sweet little town of Lee, Massachusetts, and my employees. You know, it starts at home. And and if I can create opportunity and training and ways that my employees can be better human beings than when they started with us, mm. then I'm in my own way changing, kind of changing the world a little bit at a time. And if I can teach my 140 employees about the drug war, and if I can have us all using the same lexicon about this is what's wrong with 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 our you know our platform, and we need to fix this, and what are the ways that we can do it, and if I can get a town like Holyoke, Massachusetts, with a great mayor and a great you know great lots of support for cannabis in that town, and it was massively impacted impacted by the war on drugs. I mean, massively. Mm -hmm. um, if we can impact that town and we do, and we have, that is how change is done. And it's not simple and it's not overnight, but it is palpable. I can see it. It's happening. 
Um, and, And we've seen this with cannabis all over the place, you know, often where we ended up having to open the store or have the grow was in a place that was not desirable. They didn't want us where they, you know, where people could see you. Oh my God. And not that Holyoke was that way, but you know, Holyoke has, has a, it, it has absolutely been decimated by war on drugs, obviously the economy, um, industry leaving. And it's, it just was stagnant from what, what once Opioid was the wealthiest, crisis. the opioid crisis. Yes. All yeah. of it. But it was mm-hmm. once the wealthiest, it was the wealthiest city in the United States back in the day. Yeah. Amazing. When all those factories were cranking. So I guess long story short is when we opened, there was nothing else in our campus, nothing. There was not, there was not the hair salon that is there now. There wasn't the blue door cafe, which is there now. There's another restaurant that's going to be opening really soon, just right across the parking lot from us. Up the street on High Street, there's multiple businesses that have opened. I'm not saying that's because of us. I'm saying it's because a new business, a new business with money to invest into a community and hiring of multiple human beings to work in in our space who have money to spend. They go out in the community. Many of them live in Holyoke. They go out in the community. They spend the money that they make with us. And that changes the community. And then we yeah. talk about this all the time. You know, we always say shop local, shop local. What we don't really talk about is the biggest way you can help your local economy is by going to that restaurant, going to that shop. And yeah, you might pay a little bit more, but the benefit of your community as a whole is way more impactful. And I think those are the things we're trying to teach our employees. We're trying to teach, uh, we say it all the time, we vote with our dollar. We vote with our dollars every single day. And we try to educate our employees why we carry certain brands, why we don't carry others, why we choose to support one charity over another, why we are really thoughtful when we do look at charities. We do look at the spend. We do look at their budget. We do understand how much of the money is actually going to benefit prisoners or patients or whatever the case might be, right? I mean, we all know the fleecing of America with charity is a big thing. And there's six-figure salaries or seven-figure salaries. And it's I understand it's a business and it has to operate a certain way. And you need those fundraising humans, which are expensive in order to keep the thing going. But when you see like 10% of the proceeds go to actually help the cause or less, it's just hard. You know, it's really hard. So again, how do we impact the world and how do we try to change this massive ship that has been sailing for hundred a hundred years, and it takes forever to turn it. It's the little things that you do that I think make yeah. the biggest impact. I love that. I mean, I guess I, I could that. run for I could run for yeah. office. <laughs> have you thought about it? Yeah, Eric and I have talked about it. And we'll see. We'll see. Twenty four. Meg for Prez. <laughs> oh no, I don't want that job. But you know. I, no, I, I, I believe I, me, I, I think it's important. I think that's the other thing, by the way, understanding how this, how our government process works and understanding that all politics is local. It is. And if you don't show up for the school board election, you're basically not helping because it's all upstream. You know, mm-hmm. the, the politicians that were voting for at the national level, they didn't start. I mean, some of them did. Right. There were but, city councilors. They were. Yeah. yeah. And if you local. don't, if you, if you don't put to vote in now, guess what? Guess who's taking over? 
The people that you chose not to- Mitch McConnell. The apathy. It's the apathy of America that is killing this country. I feel that. I definitely feel that. And especially after not the last election, but the one prior to it where, you know, I think- we were our our national, you know, the the national balloons over our head. Uh, some of our heads were were popped, and we felt like, uh, why the fuck does this even matter? <laughs> like this is insane. Um, but I understand that, and I like the sentiment of like, yeah, it's not just writing checks. It's not just, uh, you know, some sexy mission statement. It's it starts with the employees, and I and I totally vibe with that. Like, you know, like I said, we're small. Our our um, our resources are what they are. And for us, similar to like how I imagine you guys started it all, it's with the value it's with, you know, you're operating with values, right? It's not, you know, making a living is nice, but operating with values and purpose is obviously far more rewarding to people than, than money. The money usually follows that usually. Um, But having a mission driven purpose is, is, you know, hugely important and like seeing, seeing the effects on that. And I, you know, I'm going to keep it about myself and pump up my ego a little bit. Not that it needs it, but like in Vermont right now with cannabis coming online, you know, in the last 50 days or whatever, October 1st, um, you know, being able to see the impact we're having locally as you know, these new businesses who weren't a thing yesterday now have, you know, in my opinion, very beautiful brands. They have the tools to go do exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Now, now like you have the tools to go implement change, whether it's, you know, uh, just on that initial level of starting your business. And then the, the bigger picture part of this, which is now freeing cannabis, um, to the masses basically. So I love talking about that ripple effect. It's a beautiful thing, especially when you're conscious of it. I agree. I think it's, um, it is just, I, I think it's overwhelming and, and sometimes daunting to think about, oh, how do I change the world? And it's like, just go out your front door and do it. You don't have to go very far, you know, it's, it's yeah, it totally. can be, it, and I think once you break it down like that, it, it really does help. And I think understanding, I you know, understanding that you have a, I, I just personally believe we have an obligation to participate in the political process. And it is important that we do. And it is important that you pick up the phone and call your legislators, um, your city council, your select board, your town manager. Um, they they don't hear from very many people. Yeah. So if you don't call, who's going to? And that's what mm-hmm. I tell people all the time when we consult for companies as they're trying to figure out, should I go in this town? Should I not go in this town? I'm like, have you called? Have you talked to your local government yet? Let's, let's start there. Because if they don't want you, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Just it's not worth it. Cannabis is flipping hard enough. It is such a hard business. And everyone thinks that, you know, you get a cannabis license and it gives you an ATM that just spits out $100 bills all day long and it, they look at the revenue but they don't understand the other side of the of the ledger there and that is, you know, when you're when you're running a federally illegal business, the government takes a pound of flesh and they do. Yeah. It's very expensive to run this business. And um, we are very fortunate to be a profitable company. We're very fortunate um, to have run this business super efficiently and and um, using business physics. Um, and we're really business proud of that. Business physics. Mm-hmm. 
Well, a lot of a lot of cannabis, uh, a lot of people that start cannabis companies have never really understood a PL or a balance sheet. Right. Um, they don't understand um taxes, they don't understand deductions, they don't understand, you know, it's it's one of those things where there's just at the end of the day, cash is king and you have to be cash flowing in order to operate a business. It's just, especially in our business, because we can't get really loans from anybody. You know, right. you can't just get a revolving line of credit from your bank like a lot of small businesses can. So you have to run very, very thoughtfully with making sure you have enough cash to operate. And it's, um, it's, it's critical. And I see a lot of, I see a lot of decks come across my computer decks oh. for companies raising money decks for companies yeah. that hey you know this is what we're doing we're raising eight million dollars whatever and i always look at the experience on the team like who is the who are the principals and you know what have you done and um and some of the most fierce conversations i've had is with people that are brand new so excited raising money look at my business plan woohoo and i just break break i'm brutal yeah. i'm brutal and it's just, it's one of those things where you're seeing, we're seeing it right now in, in Massachusetts. I mean, there was an eviction notice served on a company yesterday that we're aware of. There are uh, several companies. They're not paying their bills. They can't, they don't have cash flow. And we're keep, and this is kind of the irresponsibility of the free market. So, you know, take it or leave it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that this is lost on, especially on social equity applicants. I don't think it's lost at all. I hope it isn't. But now that we're, oh, now we're prioritizing. Now we're getting social equity, the loans and everything. And only the hardest, most competitive part of the market ever is right now in Massachusetts. So good luck when half right. your, I mean, seriously, you're, you're going to have to commit so much to advertising for people to even know that you're there. And there are people still operating with the, um, sorely mistaken assumption if you build it they will come and i'm sorry that ship sailed it's gone i i'm watching i'm watching dispensaries just in the berkshires if if i see one car in their parking lot they're lucky yeah i don't i don't know how they're doing it and it's just i know a lot of i know a lot of companies aren't paying their bills they're not paying their vendors um, where, are they, I mean, where are they? Where are they fucking up, Meg? Is it? Is it they aren't thinking about cash flow? Is it they're not? Um, so, so just my perspective in this because I also talk to a lot of those people, um, and this is kind of a recent thing for me, just because we're in New England and you know we started off mostly with New England clients, mm -hmm. but the business acumen was not what I was used to. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, and meaning like there was none, right? So when you're looking at those decks and you're looking at those principles, at least when I'm having discovery calls with, you know, dispensary groups, and I'm using air quotes for anybody listening to me, um, there is no experience. You know, they sold eighths of weed in their college dorm or, you know, they worked it, you know, on the on the floor of, you know, some grow house or something like that. The, the business acumen, the experience is purely weed focused and has nothing to do with CPGs or the retail experience or any of these things that you would hear about in any other industry outside of cannabis. Like the, the thought and intent of opening any business um, is thinner in my experience in this industry. Um, and there are a lot of fly by night companies, you know, I'm not surprised that 
Um, you know, you're seeing empty parking lots in, in some of your local competitors' parking lots. Uh, yeah. It makes I sense. Mean, it's just the nature of it. Yeah. You ask, you know, what are, what are they doing wrong? And I would say, yeah. I don't know that, I don't know that I can't fault humans for wanting to create and get a piece of this and think sure. it's cool. And I want to sell weed and isn't that fun. And can I contextualize um, so just, just to take some of the heat off you, let me contextualize yeah. it for you. In my opinion, mm -hmm. in Vermont. So in Vermont, we have just over a half a million people, maybe 600, there's 600 something thousand people that live in this state. So it's, pretty tiny. It's mm -hmm. super rural, very rural. If you live, uh, if you live anywhere, you're lucky if it takes you 30 minutes to go somewhere or else, you right. know, it's going to take you two hours. Right. So you have to want to live here. Uh, you have to like driving and you have to be okay with the darkness. Now that legalization is happening, um, or has happened and, and retail is opening and all of that, there are, <laughs> the number of licenses in this state would be able to comfortably handle a population 10 times its size. Right. And there aren't 620,000 cannabis users in this state. Right. No, right? There's, there's not, you know, there's maybe a hundred thousand or like whatever it is. Even say it's half, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, you have a retail dispensary in Burlington, which is, you know, similar to Lee or Holyoke on a smaller scale. And then you have dispensaries all over the rest of the state, which are small rural towns, um, like the ones between Lee and Boston, you know, like, or, or Worcester and Lee, like those sorts of things. So here it is, it is the, I don't want to say cash grab, but it is the, uh, the fast grab, like the, I'm here first, I'm putting my flag in this ground and I'm a brand now. And that means the money printer is going to start printing out those hundred dollar bills. Mm -hmm. was that is that similar to kind of like and this is just capitalism this is just the way capitalism works like forget cannabis like if you're you know if you're an ice cream shop and then all of a sudden there's a hundred ice cream shops open up near you like you're probably screwed uh or at least you have to be conscious of what differentiates yourself why mm -hmm. you know like who your customer is and how to talk to them so so what was what were you, so let's put it back to you, like mm -hmm. forget your competition. I don't want you to pass judgment or feel like you have to talk shit about what's going on in mass, but like, what were you doing? Right. Um, so why if is your parking anything, lot full? If, well, we're 300 yards off the mass pike. That's why, because when I was driven to Lee and asked where should I, shown a whole <laughs> bunch of, a whole bunch of spaces that were put on that were under LOI for yeah, us yeah. to operate a dispensary. We drove past the one place I knew for sure there needed to be a dispensary and it wasn't for sale. And that's, mm -hmm. that's why, and, and that's why we're successful. I mean, our little powerhouse of Lee, Massachusetts, and we're, yeah. and we're the only one right now, you know, we're the only dispensary in Lee. So, you know, you go to Great Barrington, there's six, seven, eight now. I don't even know. It's absurd. Yeah. And the same thing in Pittsfield. I think there's 10 or 11. Yeah. There's 10. Um, it's, it's, I, I guess, Look, I, I appreciate that people want to, you know, believe in free market and that's how it should be run. And and certainly that, you know, we're here in Massachusetts. We, we could have chosen limited licensing states. We've could have done things a lot differently, but we chose mass. And part of that was because the locations that we chose were super intriguing. Part of it was because the location that we have, you know, 300 yards off the Mass Pike and Lee, 
is mm-hmm. I'm across the street from McDonald's and next door to Dunkin' Donuts. I don't need to do a traffic study. I don't yeah. need to do a marketing study. It's like Walgreens and CVS. You know what I mean? If Walgreens opens, you know, CVS is opening catty corner. That's just how it works. Let's so let's from- contextualize that for non-Bay State and New specifically New England, but I would limit it to the Bay State to maybe Rhode Island uh, and for sure New Hampshire, not Vermont. Vermont is not included in this. Dunkin' Donuts is a Mecca mm-hmm. and that's not an overstatement. No, <laughs> it is a Mecca. It is crazy. What new Englanders will do for their friggin' Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It is unbelievable. So you saying that, Oh, I saw the Dunkin' Donuts. And really what you saw was the line from the drive through. And you were like, Oh, people who like donuts probably also. <laughs> people get off like, the highway. People get, yeah, they the get their Dunkin' to get their yeah. coffee. Yeah. They want their pre roll and, get- and <laughs> and, and, you know, iced regular in the morning and then they'll, they'll come back and get another pre-roll in their number one for McDonald's at the end of the day. It's so um, true. And we have yeah. a Starbucks now too. So we're like double whammy at this point. And you know, that's a super bifurcated population. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily pinch people off. It's no. like there's Duncan's lovers and there's Starbucks lovers. And now we've got them both within a block of my store. So I'm winning. Yeah, so it's you awesome. find the Venn diagram of cannabis lovers in the middle, and then yeah. that's where you put your location. So yeah. it wasn't like you were, uh, you didn't have to, you didn't overthink that. We were the second standalone Dunkin retail Donuts. store. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but, and 300 yards off the Mass Pike. And you can yeah, see yeah, my store from the exit. I mean, it's just perfect. But the other thing too, though, is um, we were, we were the second standalone retail to open. We were tw- number 21, I think. Number 21 total in, in adult use dispensaries. But we were second. Caroline's Cannabis in Uxbridge was first. And we were right after her. And we love Caroline and Steve. They did great work. We're good friends, love them to death. And we were, we knew being first to market was really important, really important. Having done this in other states and watched what happens in other states. So that was lesson number one. No, lesson number one was location. Lesson number two was get open, hurry up, hurry up and get open. Um, And then the rest of it is committing to your customer experience committing to what is your differentiator what what is what are you standing for on this platform of weed knowing that we're going to have a lot more competition a lot more competition and i think we've just committed to build that experience as fast and furious as we can um and stick with it and we're a high touch retail experience so it's not cheap it's ex- it's expensive to run like we run but it makes sense and it works and then when you look at the demographics of the berkshires and you look at the demographics of of our store and people coming in for the first time or they haven't tried cannabis since a long time ago or traditional medicine has failed them um you know a million things right we just we have a we have a sweet spot in that we love to spend time with customers there's no rushing there's no need to rush because of how we do our business. And I think our customers are appreciative of it. And we also are able to serve people super efficiently and quickly. If you already know what you want, we can get you in and out, no problem. So we kind of are, you know, we're a, a, a nice little circle of, of awesome customer service, no matter kind of what you're looking for. So I think there's that. Um, but I do want to just touch on this. It's sensitive, right? If this is a sensitive conversation in that I don't love limited license states. It's, it just always seems pay to play, which means only the rich people are going to win. And, you know, it's just, I don't love it. It's hard, It but but also it's lucrative. It works. Um, 
here in Massachusetts, you know, there's no license cap at the top from the state. There's no license. The challenge with that is a lot of people are going to be impacted when a decent percentage of the market fails. Landlords, contractors, you know, neighborhoods. It's it's unfortunate, but it's kind of like if you're a free market person, you're like, well, that's a consequence of a free market, you know. Yeah. But I'm kind of I'm I'm a little more sensitive to that. And I really do think we need to slow our roll a little bit here because unfortunately now social equity is getting their time to shine, you know, and it's the worst time you could be opening a business in the state. I mean, who knew so pandemic sorry. was coming? Who knew war in Ukraine was coming? Who knew that inflation and a recession and a you know, five dollar gallon of gas, although now it's back to where it was before. So thank goodness. But no one, we don't have a magic ball. No one saw this coming. Um, and we're just, we're trying to figure it out as fast as we can, but opening five more cannabis stores within, you know, 20 miles of each other is certainly not going to help the situation. So that is concerning to me. And I feel, I feel like we have to be responsible as a state, as a, as a Commonwealth, as an industry to make sure people understand it's really risky to open right now. Really, really risky. For sure. I mean, just the cost of, I mean, for, for, for all the reasons you just said, the, the, uh, the result of which being like just supply chain costs, the cost for building out, you know, a retail store that looks good, you know, it ain't cheap. It's for sure a weird time to be opening any business, never mind a cannabis business. It's a minimum, it's a minimum half a million dollars just to build out and open a dispensary. That doesn't even include your inventory or your OPEX. It doesn't include any of that. And, and I just, you know, our leaf stores was a million dollars. Our Holyoke store was a million dollars. And that was before we bought one gram of inventory. And back then our terms were COD, baby. You better write me a check. I'm not giving you anything. We're writing you to write me a check. We were thrilled when we got seven day terms. We're like, Oh, hallelujah. I can maybe yeah. sell some of this and pay the bill. <laughs> Um, but also we were super fortunate because we were, we were, I don't want to say immediately successful, but we were, it was, it happened really fast. We were very, you, very successful. How do you cope with what you're just saying? Which is like, you have to slow down, but also be first. Like, what is the middle ground there? So like, cause what's going to happen is like that slow down, like that, that time is going to happen after the shark frenzy, right? That mm-hmm. the, all this has to happen in order for there to be a, a time where we are like, Let's reflect. Let's build this more, you know, like let's let's see what we've learned over the last couple of years of Massachusetts legalization. Let's uh, you know, mature the 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 legislation or regulations around it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's mourn the loss of these, you know, X percent of cannabis businesses that just had to peace out because the market's fucked. I think that the lesson is is there's a life cycle of an industry. There's a life cycle of a business, right? And so mm. we knew where we knew our sweet spot and we knew how to take advantage of that if we were able to be successful in what our plan was. But your business plan when you're the second standalone retail to start and your business plan when you're the 27th in the same town to open is completely different. God, I hope it's completely different. And you're probably going to raise need to raise a lot more money. You know, that, that's just fact because advertising is going to be a large part of your budget. 
and training your employees to make sure that there's some magical thing that happens across the counter or whatever, however you choose to sell weed. Um, that that's important too. But we've always been, I would say, hands down, my best advice that I could give anybody opening a cannabis business, the one thing I know for sure is small and profitable. Be small and be profitable. And if you do that, good things happen. And you can pay your bills and you can pay yourself to, you know, pay your mortgage and, you know, pay your car payment and send your kid to college or whatever. Um, th- this is this is what I know. I don't know. I'm not an MSO. I've never been an MSO and I have no intentions of ever being a multi-state operator and a, and the CEO of a public company. No, thank you. No, hard pass. Um, what I do know how to do is run a small profitable business and that's what we do. And that would be my, that would be my thing. These people that are, I'm going to build out a hundred thousand square foot grow and I'm raising $50 million. And I'm going to tell you, you are never going to pay that back. Not going to happen. It's a crazy market right now. Open a 5,000 square foot grow and give me a buzz because I'd love to buy from you. (laughs) Meg, I have a whole other podcast written. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that we didn't get to do. So I hope we can do a part two. This is we, we've gone for an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your valuable time. I do have a whole other. We didn't even talk about mindful. We didn't talk about Colorado. We barely even talked about can of provisions, but I think the stuff that we have talked about is really valuable. And I think contextualizes a lot of what, you know, of that journey stuff. I hope we can do a part two sometime where we can actually get into like how the hell you started Canna provisions. Yeah. Maybe we'll get, we'll get there someday, but for now, like that seems like a really good place to put a dot on this conversation. I hugely appreciate your time. Um, I love talking to you and I actually will book the next, I'll, I'll get Dan book on the it. line after this and we'll book, book the next one. Yeah. Uh, I love you, it. You've been an amazing guest. You've taken us from the Rocky mountain highs to the even, even higher achievements in the Bay state. And we're lucky to have you as a client at Canna planners. We appreciate you. Um, all that's left to do is just let my listeners know where they can find out more about you, find out more about Canna Provisions so they can come buy weed from you. So you can find us uh, online, CannaProvisions.com, Canna Provisions Group on IG, Canna Provisions um, on Facebook. Um, please check out our menu, our amazing, amazing menu, our amazing smash hits cannabis grown by Ken Dog himself. We didn't even talk Legend- about Ken Dog. Legendary. Um, I'm so lucky that I get to smoke this man's weed every day. Tell me about it. Um, and yeah, pl- this is one thing I will share with listeners. We try to do a lot of good with our business. We try very, very hard from supporting local arts to food banks to animal shelters. Um, Those are kind of our, that's our sweet spot. And none of that is possible unless you come and buy weed from me. Um, And we're obviously women owned, women led. And I believe we're doing really good things. And if you're the type of person that votes with your dollar, can of provisions is a good vote. Well, Meg, that's a beautiful statement. And we here at Canna Planners believe in you and believe in that mission that you are so successfully going for. So thank you again for being here and, and talking to my listeners about your journey. Again, we didn't even talk about your journey. We no. barely talked about <laughs> any of the charitable stuff that I had on my list of things to talk about. We did not talk about Cam at all. So these are all important things that maybe we can follow up with on a, on another discussion. But for now, thank you so much, Meg Sanders of Canna Provision the baller CEO making things happen in the Bay state. We appreciate you. Uh, this has been common sense. Amia. I forgot the name of my podcast. My name is 
uh, Will Reed. What, what, I've been what? your host. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Be sure to share this with your friends, family, enemies, whoever. Hit the like, hit the subscribe. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.